from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Greg Shaw. Greg grew up in West Virginia. He became a Baha'i when he was a young man in the late 60s. He traveled throughout South and Central America early in his Baha'i career. He has since returned to his roots in West Virginia. Greg is a songwriter. Some of his songs have traveled all over the world, and he finds them in the most unexpected places. We talk about this and play some of his songs. I started the interview by asking Greg where he grew up, and what was it like growing up there? Well, I was born in West Virginia, a small town West Virginia, and uh, my family moved around a lot when I was a child. I remember counting up 19 houses by the time I was 19. Oh, wow. So we traveled all over. Um, most of the time, we ended up back in small town West Virginia, and it continued that way up until I was in high school, and that's when we moved to the suburbs of Baltimore. But mostly it was a small town West Virginia childhood, which is a great childhood. I wouldn't have traded it for anything. And what was religious life like growing up? My grandfather was raised as an Irish Catholic, and uh, he converted to become a Presbyterian and became actually an elder in his church. And so I was very often at church with him, helping him mix up the grape juice for communion and so on. But then my mother, who of course was raised Presbyterian, she converted to become an Episcopalian. And so then... As a child, I took catechism in the Episcopalian Church and so on. But then, of course, I became a Baha'i at a certain point. My family sort of has a history of seeking. Was it when you were in the suburbs of Baltimore that you ran into the Baha'i faith? That is. The first time uh, first time I came across it, uh, it was, a, uh, of course, a pivotal point in my, in my youth and actually in my life, as I look back on it now. I had a very strong interest in religion in general, and particularly comparative religion. Of course, I'd grown up with a strong interest in the Bible and Christianity, and I'd held on to that, but I was looking for something larger. Uh, Mm. (laughs) My ideas of religion seemed to be larger than anything I'd heard of uh, growing up in the various churches. So I actually used to go to the libraries back in those days, pre-internet days, if you wanted to learn about something, you had to actually travel to the library. And I would go to the libraries and seek out the comparative religion books. And in Baltimore, of course, there are a number of branch libraries around the different areas. And I would actually drive to all the different branches because I'd go through the four or five books they had at one branch, and then I'd have to drive to another one. So I was actively reading all these books about the religions of the world and had a very strong interest. But oddly enough, in all that reading, I never came across the word Baha'i. Then 
eventually I was, uh, well, I would have been 17 years old when I was fortunate enough to come across a, uh, a Baha'i booth at the Maryland State Fair, and I was very interested when uh, the, this elderly fellow offered me a pamphlet, and I thought, now what will this old man have to tell me? And it was the Baha'i faith, and so I was instantly uh, instantly attracted to to this. You know, as a 17-year-old, like most 17-year-olds, I felt like I had most of the answers to the world's problems. But uh, once this man started talking, I thought, oh, gee, this guy, is <laughs> this guy knows a lot more than I know. And so I was, I was interested, interested immediately as soon as I heard about it. So what did you do when you got that information? Well, I have to confess that uh, uh, although I, um, I was very attracted, very interested, and, and I had stood there and talked at that booth for most of an hour, and you know, every few minutes I was given another booklet or another pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> and I read those things back and forth and sideways over and over again and was very, uh, very interested, but I didn't do anything about it except read them. And also, I started telling my friends about it, saying, hey, I just learned about this wonderful, wonderful new religion, new to me, uh, new religion. So I was telling all my friends about it, but I I myself didn't really, you know, follow up on it. And one one of my classmates that I had told about this, he was much more proactive than I was, and he actually rode off to the Baha'i National Center in Chicago, and he was contacted about a Baha'i meeting there in the Baltimore suburbs, and he went to the meeting, and he came back to me then, and he said, hey, these people are great. You've got to go to one of these meetings. One of the people I taught about the faith was really responsible for getting me to a meeting. It's funny how it worked out. Thank goodness. What was your reaction to your first meeting? Oh, I loved it, of course. I was so impressed because certainly, like most people, teenage years were hard years, and my high school years were certainly no picnic. I did my best to make them hard <laughs> and struggle, <laughs> struggle through. And so, you know, as a as a young fellow, uh, and of course I was in the late 60s, a long-haired fellow and with a beard and so on, so I was just used to the idea of of people over 30 rejecting me out of hand and so when I went to this Baha'i meeting you know which was in the suburbs of Baltimore in a nice nice place when the door opened all these people were suburban people over 30 and I just thought I expected there to be some clash and instead they were so warm and so inviting and and actually so interested in talking to me and then what I had to say that it was heartwarming and of course again you know many of those people that I met at that first meeting I still am in contact with and still friends with and still have great love that's grown over decades now and it was a wonderful feeling that they were so open and so inviting to someone who looked like I did because nobody else looked like that at the Baha'i meetings in those days. (laughs) So your music, how early did you start cultivating music? 
I was 14 when I first started fooling around with guitar. Before I was 16, I was playing in my first band, and believe me, we were not any good. <laughs> Nevertheless, we were enthusiastic about the idea. <laughs> and, and those high school garage bands were almost like a boys' club or something. So, you know, it was our gang was to uh, was to be in a band, and that continued all through high school, of course. It was a very big part of my life was hanging out with the band and playing at the teen center and playing all the the Beatles and the Stones and the Animals songs and the Kinks as they came out. Yeah, so that was a big deal. I, you know, thank goodness nobody actually has any tape recordings of those days because it would just be awful to hear them. <laughs> How did the Baha'i faith inform your music? It was an interesting thing because the time, as I said, I was 18 by the time I became a member of the Baha'i community, and I was already, of course, playing music and, and writing songs. But in those days, well, let me preface it by saying today there's so much wonderful Baha'i music. There's so many very talented musicians, and some of them are, uh, of course, have carved out their spot in uh, in popular music and are very well-known and, and award-winning artists. But in those days, in the late 60s, there was very, very little in the way uh, of Baha'i-inspired music. So, you know, like every four or five years, maybe one LP would come out <laughs> with with some Baha'i-inspired songs on it. So there really wasn't very much there. And what I heard at that time, people had come out of a background of choirs and church music and uh, very organized, formal choral groups. And so a lot of the Baha'i music that did exist was that, or it was children's songs. So right away, I was interested in how can I express the Baha'i principles with the kind of music that I play, which was country and rock and and blues and folk music flavored. And so it was a very natural thing for me to just start putting these ideas into those forms. At the time, it was fairly radical for the small behind music community. Mm. Before I go further in your music, what was your parents' reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? I think they were very surprised at first, just because I went from a period where I hadn't gone to church at all for many years to all of a sudden going to what they thought was church. I mean, as far as they knew about it, it's a religious group, it's church. And I was going five nights a week, you know, <laughs> and and so I I think they were sort of mystified by, you know, like, well, what's come over him <laughs> after I'd run into the Baha'is and been attending Baha'i meetings all over Baltimore and Washington five nights a week for most of a year. Then I actually did become a, a Baha'i, a member of the Baha'i community, and I don't think they knew what to make of it at <laughs> first. But they've grown used to it over the years. So for full disclosure, I met you after you had become a Baha'i. Probably mm -hmm. you were already out of high school, and I was in probably 11th grade. And mm -hmm. the first song I remember or really stuck with me was what we used to call the country western Baha'i song. Oh, yes, yes. And for, <laughs> and for many years, I would play that song. Even when oh, I moved great. up, to, even when I moved up to Massachusetts, 
but I, I guess you don't have a recording of it. I don't. There may be one floating around somewhere. <laughs> I often, you know, will come across on the internet or somewhere. I'll come across these old songs and so on. No, I don't. But that's a good example of what I was talking about, about taking the Baha'i principles and casting them into the kind of music that I knew and that I grew up with and that I was playing. And that certainly was one of the very earliest uh, examples of country music and Baha'i lyrics coming together. Mm-hmm. But it was a very natural thing for me. That that song uh, drew on a, on a lot of biblical background and so on, which is what I had grown up with. Yeah, so it's sort of like the convergence of uh, your Christian background, your musical background, and then the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. I really want to sample some of the music that you've done over the years. You gave me a website, which I'll, I'll put the link so people can see the music. So the first song that drew me was exactly because I had such fond recollections of the country western Baha'i song. Although this really is is not consistent with the Baha'i teachings, I just found it so funny that I wanted to start with this song. And this was uh, the song, God, Please Let Me Come Back as a Hillbilly Singer. All right. So how, how old is that song? Oh, well, um, that probably, uh, I would guess I wrote it back in the 80s. The recording that's on the website is done by Steve Askins, who's a great guitar player, fine musician, and still makes his living as a musician out near Chicago, Illinois. And Steve was doing um, a CD, and he contacted me and said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a song, hope that you might have something that would work. And so... I sent him this, and he picked up on it. He even even added a little bit of his own flavor to it because the opening lines of that starts off with a little prelude of the prisoner and the warden speaking, and that was actually added by Steve. I and see. then you go into the part about, Dear God, please let me come back as a hillbilly singer. I have, I have a great attachment to that idea of those old days when when the guys would load the bass fiddle on top of the roof of the Cadillac and drive from, you know, one honky-tonk to another one all night long and uh, playing. It's a romantic idea. So, dear God, please let me come back as a a hillbilly singer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here's the song. The chaplain led the prisoner down the hallway from his cell His mates reached out to wave their sad goodbyes The chaplain gently asked Son, have you one last tale to tell? Make your peace before you reach that home beyond the sky And the prisoner said With all respect, good father I don't think that hell's for me But I have sinned too much For heaven to be my fate So here's my final prayer To that almighty deity Dear God, if you are listening May I just reincarnate Dear God, please let me come back 
as a hillbilly singer Letting me make my living Picking six strings in a bar Dear God, please let me come back As a hillbilly singer With a voice like Jimmy Rogers And a two-tone Cadillac car I can't sing the opera I can't sing like Frank Sinatra I can't sing much of anything But the songs my daddy knew Songs from West Virginia From the old Methodist hymnal Songs that fit the guitar in the easy keys I do Dear God, please let me come back as a hillbilly singer With a song like A.P. Carter's And a two-tone Cadillac car Give me one more go-round In the honky-tonks and the hoedowns Sons of the pioneers I want to hear them sing sweet harmony At my opportunity to like put your uh, bass fiddle on the top of a car and travel about and sing well i think the closest i've come to that is a uh, sort of that idea in an alternate universe and that is that when i was 21 years old um, i moved to south america first to colombia later to Vieques, puerto rico and panama but first to colombia and I moved to Colombia specifically to help with uh, some of the development work in the Baha'i community there, and I would often get a chance to travel out into the campo, out into the countryside of Colombia, which was very rural, very underdeveloped in those days, and, and often we'd arrive, I'd be in a village, and I would see that really once the sun went down in a town with almost no electricity and no entertainment or anything like that. The people didn't really have anything to do except play dominoes and drink all night. I got an idea that I would like to take 
form a group, a musical group, and travel through these villages and sing, you know, for one night at least, give them <laughs> something else to do. And so that happened. We realized that. We did, uh, I and some other Baha'i friends, we formed a group, and we did travel through uh, 12 or 13 countries of South America. And that was sort of like the experience, because, you know, it wasn't the bass fiddle on top of the Cadillac, but it was piling everything on top of an old bus and bouncing over the dirt roads of the Pan American Highway and going from village to village and singing by candlelight. And it it had a, all the romance that I was looking for of the old traveling from honky-tonk to honky-tonk. In this case, it was from one South American village to the next. Which reminds me of another song that you wrote called Oi Esaldia. Now, th mm -hmm. that became famous from it being played at the Baha'i World Congress in New York City. Yeah, what a thrill that was. To yeah, did, did you know that was going to happen? No. <laughs> I, I was at the Baha'i World Congress in 1992 in New York, and, and of course that particular day they were, they were by satellite broadcasting to, I think, all the continents of the world at uh, the different conferences. And so I was just out in the audience, and uh, then one of the musical selections was that song. It's very moving, very exciting for me. It was an interesting thing because when I went to Colombia... I suffered from the disadvantage of knowing no Spanish. I had never taken Spanish in school or had any Spanish lessons. So I arrived there and sort of got thrown in the deep water right away. And in the very, I hadn't even been there two months, and I was trying to write a song in Spanish, but of course I only had a vocabulary of about 25 words. You know, so that was the challenge, was to write a song with a very, very limited Spanish vocabulary, and it was surprising how, how far that song traveled. Even though it's in Spanish, I heard from people singing it in Tajikistan and <laughs> many, many places like that. And, and it speaks of the three central figures of the faith. I was wondering if you could mm -hmm. walk through that. Well, um, of course, again, as I mentioned, my Spanish was much less than even rudimentary when I wrote it. I was looking for a way that I could explain or I could speak about the very central ideas of the Baha'i faith. And, of course, the most central of all uh, would be those figures of the Baha'i faith, the Bab, who was the forerunner or of the Baha'i faith, and Baha'u'llah, who was the founder of the Baha'i faith, and his son, Abdu'l-Baha. So my Spanish was very basic, and this was a very basic explanation of the Baha'i faith. And then the last verse of that song talks about la unidad del mundo, which is the unity of mankind, which is sort of the social basis of all of the Baha'i teachings. Hoy es el día de la puerta de la gloria, hoy es el día de Ali el Bab. Hoy es el día de la puerta de la gloria, hoy es el día de Ali el Bab. Hoy es el día de la gloria de Dios, hoy es el día de Bahá'u'lláh. 
Hoy es el día de la gloria de Dios, hoy es el día de Bajaola. Hoy es el día, hoy es el día, hoy es el día de Bajaola. Hoy es el día, hoy es el día, hoy es el día de Bajaola. Hoy es el día de siervo de la gloria, hoy es el día de Atul Baja. Hoy es el día de siervo de la gloria, hoy es el día de Abdul Baha. Hoy es el día de la unidad del mundo, hoy es el día de la fe Baha'i. Hoy es el día de la unidad del mundo, hoy es el día de la fe Baha'i. Hoy es el día, hoy es el día, hoy es el día de la fe Baha'i. All right. Um, what was the next one I went? Okay. Now, this one I thought was really sweet. It's called I Walk the Path. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about there's, that one? There's an interesting, interesting story about that song. I had been asked by the Baha'i World Center in Israel to um, help provide some music, again, for some of the Baha'i educational courses that were being developed. They were looking for songs that particularly talked about certain themes. Uh, One of them, I think, was some of the inspiring figures that make up the early history of the Baha'i faith. And there are so many people who were so self-sacrificing and gave so much in order to establish, uh, to renew religion in that day and age in the Middle East. So this song, I'll Walk the Path, was specifically on that theme, some of the sacrifices made by those very inspiring early Baha'is. Well, the the interesting story is that I wrote the song and I, I sent it off to Israel And then I never heard any more about it for many years. Maybe 10 years went by. Uh, And to tell the truth, I forgot about the song. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't, I would have not known the words or the chords or the (laughs) melody or any of it uh, because it just hadn't come up again. And then one night I had a dream. And in my dream, I was walking down the streets of a city, and they had loudspeakers overhead, and they were playing that song. And in my dream, I thought, oh, well, that's a strange one for them to be playing. But still, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad people get to hear that song. Well, after my dream, the very next morning, I woke up, and I went and I got on the Internet to read my email, and there was a message where some people in the Philippines said that they were putting this song on their website. So, of course, I could only shake my head in amazement at the mysterious world of dreams and (laughs) Mm. how things happen, because that was a song I hadn't even thought of. And then to have that dream and the next day hear that it was being uh, posted on a website on the other side of the world, that's mysterious, mysterious thing. Baha'u'llah says dreams are a sign of the soul, so I guess 
my soul was getting the news before the rest of me. <laughs> okay, so this is I Walk the Path. actually reminds me of another song called The Bobbies of Tabarsi. Oh, yes, yes. So tell me about that one. Well, that was a song that I wrote first in English, but I lived in Colombia at the time. And uh, I wrote that song. It's a, it's a ballad, very traditional ballad style. Uh, where guitar players will recognize that it's two chords. <laughs> pretty easy to pick up on and it tells the story of uh, one incident of the early days of the Baha'i faith um, actually before Baha'u'llah's mission began when they were still followers of his forerunner, the Bab and the Babis some 300 plus Babis had been sort of uh, chased into a uh, small fort Fort Sheikh Tabarsi and there, the armies of the government of Iran, which outnumbered them by, you know, many times, then uh, attacked them. And, and the Babis eventually gave their lives for their new religion. So it's a, 
a sad but stirring story, and it fit very well in the ballad mode. So I wrote that song, and uh, I always enjoyed playing it myself. But then some years later, I was at a musicians conference in Bogota, Colombia. I found a couple friends of mine, Wiley Rinaldi and Anita Jorgensen, both of them wonderful musicians themselves. They called me into a room and they said they were translating this Bobby Zotabarsi song into Spanish. And I said, that's impossible. <laughs> there's, there's too many words. It, it just won't work, you know. But nevertheless, they persisted despite, despite my misgivings. And the song was translated into Spanish, and it became very popular in the Baha'i communities of Latin America in Spanish. There's some good versions of that, and I've heard that song again. It's traveled to various countries of the world, and I think on the website there's a recording by um, Greg Paul did a version, which I found to be excellent, and then there are a few other. And oh, yeah, there's the Spanish, Spanish version. version. Yeah, I didn't see that one initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually, I think perhaps the song was better known in Spanish in the end than it was in English, which shows, shows how much I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned historical figures in the other song, I Walk the Path, but mm-hmm. there, you mentioned specifically two historic figures, Caduce and Hussein, Mullah Hussein in, the, in that song. Right, right. As I say, there are many, many uh, inspiring figures from the early days of Baha'i history. Kudus was, and Moloch Hossein, were part of the first 18 believers, like Christianity has its 12 disciples of Christ. Well, the Bab had his disciples, his earliest disciples, which he called the Letters of Living. And Moloch Hossein was actually the very first to believe in the New Revelation, and Kudus was also part of those original 18 that followed the Bob. Of course, both of them ended up giving their lives at Fort Tabarsi. Their stories are very, very inspirational, certainly uh, something to study, and and Baha'is around the world now know their names. Three hundred and thirteen faithful sheltered by the wall. The greedy prince of Persia land bound to see them fall. All the evil forces lined up before their eyes. The bobbies of Tabarsi. Giving up their lives. Brave Hudus, the living letter, raised a guiding hand. Here's a place we've come to give our lives in love for man. Though I know you all will go before their vicious lies the bobbies of Tabarsi giving up their lives 
powerful trumpet who sang, take your mighty sword. Few the true companions, but all strength is from the Lord. Send the coward enemies in flight before your cries. The Babis of Tabarsi. up their lives Reinforced the prince's armies dared again to fight But holy blood can only feed and not put out the light Let the world to a man against this handful rise the bobbies of Tabarsi giving up their lives Hussein falls for this is gone the haughty armies cheer but never Will wounded barbies kneel the dust in fear? Boots and horses leather, yes, on that they did survive. The barbies of Tavarsi giving up their lives. His holy book, the prince writes down in plea. You've shamed my mighty forces. Come out, you can go free. So the trusting bobbies fell into the liar's knives. The bobbies of Tavarsi. Giving up their lives Now the holy candle Draws the people to its flame But long will live the infamy Of Persia's endless shame Their treachery, their trickery No history denies when the Barbies of Tabarsi gave the Lord their lives. Now, I forgot to... I guess so you've got the names of the singers on these. Like I, like I walked the path. Did you have the? Do you list? The well, song? I don't know the name of who sang. Oh, really? <laughs> I heard it on the website from the Philippines, Isn't and I that actually don't know who that is that's performing it. But they do it's a very good sweet job. Voice, I, I yeah. Like it much better than I would. <laughs> One song I want to play for sure is the Rose of Isaiah. 
Mm -hmm. The Rose Isaiah Saul, yes. That song, um, uh, and and I believe there are a couple versions there on the website. Um, Recently, a a wonderful singer, a friend of mine who lives over in the mountains of West Virginia, a woman named Donna Weems, she heard that song, and then she wrote me and begged me to send the words and the chords and then which I did and then she recorded a version and sent it back to me and it's very beautiful Donna's got a unique voice and honored that she decided to take that up and now one thing I should mention about that is Donna is not a Baha'i Donna's a member of the Presbyterian Church and she told me that she sang this song in church of course it has a lot of Baha'i imagery but then also it, it has its roots back in Old Testament passages. So I guess it works pretty well. She said that it was received very well in her church, and a lot of people commented that they liked it. And, of course, I was delighted to know that the, the song uh, could be sung in church, and I was very happy to hear that. So what are some of the Baha'i references in that song? Mentioned that there's a line about from Gethsemane to Akka's bitter trail. And, of course, Gethsemane we associate with the trials and, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Akka was where Baha'u'llah was exiled and uh, imprisoned and, and suffered greatly, including uh, many of his followers died there, including his youngest son died in prison there in Akka. And so it was... a uh, bitter trial. So there's sort of a line, you know, in the Bible, Jesus talks about looking back on Jerusalem and saying how uh, again and again, no matter how many times God sends his prophets, mankind rejects them. And, uh, even though God's desire is to gather mankind to to his bosom, so to speak, mankind is always rejecting the prophets, rejecting the message of God. And so this is a theme that plays out in, in every religion. It's from Judaism and Christianity and Islam, and certainly true in, with the Bab and Baha'u'llah. So you have that. And, and, of course, the rose Isaiah saw, there's a beautiful passage in the book of Isaiah about how the desert will bloom like a rose and Mount Carmel will flourish. And, of course, today the Baha'i World Center is, located on Mount Carmel, and of course it has flourished. The gardens are magnificent. I've I've been fortunate to make two trips to Israel and visit those gardens, and they're a wondrous sight. And of course, not too long ago, they were added to the United Nations list of World Heritage Places. So that Baha'i World Center and the flourishing gardens of Mount Carmel is really a fulfillment of the prophecy that was way back in the book of Isaiah. So I think that song touches on all those themes. I can almost see the rose Isaiah song Zion's famine ended by an ancient trumpet from a desert bush to gardens night and gale 
like the stars of heaven or the grains of endless sand will the children of the prophets fill the promised land forty years of rain to make the came back from South America, what did you do? As I mentioned briefly before, I, I went as a 21-year-old to Colombia and was thrown in, <laughs> thrown into the Latin culture, which after I got over the culture shock, I, I truly came to appreciate it and love it, to treasure the opportunity to learn to speak Spanish and to see so much of the world, and, and I got to do a lot of traveling through South America and Central America, and then went on later to live in uh, Vieques in Puerto Rico, and then finally moved to Panama, and in Panama I had the great privilege of actually living on the grounds of the Baha'i House of Worship in Panama for over two years. I was there receiving visitors, and the visitors come from all over Panama and all over the world, and it's a wonderful opportunity, uh, an unforgettable period of my life. Well, at a certain point, I went to work as a EMT, EMT paramedic, and I was eventually transferred from Panama to North Carolina, 
so after many years abroad, I found myself back in the United States, and then I had culture shock all over again to readjust to life in the United States. So I was there in North Carolina for a while and then moved back to West Virginia, very close to uh, to the very place that I grew up. And I've been in West Virginia again for 20-some years now. It's very nice living out here in the woods with the wild turkeys and the deer and the hawks and the groundhogs. So you've made full circle. Yeah, I, I think so. Certainly, as much as I always had a great attachment and love for uh, life in West Virginia, I, I think it was a priceless gift that I had the opportunity to spend all those years in uh, the various Latin American countries. There's so much to learn, so much to see, so much to value, and that was a priceless gift. And what are you doing these days? Uh, these days, uh, and and actually for the last couple decades, <laughs> <laughs> I've been working. I've been working in uh, nonprofit agencies. Basically, I've I've had worked for. Uh, the Appalachian Trail Conference, and uh, worked for United Way for many years, and now I'm working for Shepherd University, and that's mostly uh, working with computers and so on. So it's it's good that the, the nonprofit world is good because you always know that that your uh, efforts are leading to something good in the world. You know, right. when I worked for the Appalachian Trail, it was always a good feeling to look up at the top of a mountain and know there was a trail that went all the way from Georgia to Maine, and I was doing my small share to keep that open for everyone. And, and now I'm working for a university, and I know that I am doing my small bit to help students get their education and move on in the world. Well, Greg, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your music. It's been a joy, of course. It's wonderful. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that interview with Greg Shaw, a longtime songwriter. You can find his songs posted on the internet at tindeck.com slash users slash goodspirit. That's tindeck, T-I-N-D-E-C-K, dot com slash users slash goodspirit. I'll also post the address on the website where you can find Greg's interview and other interviews at www.upahighperspective.com. I'll end the hour with more cuts of Greg's songs. The first one I'll play is Greg singing Buddies for Nigh On Forever. You can subscribe to the podcast of Baha'i Perspective on iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. I was thinking of writing you a song I like the way you settle in my mind I never thought we'd be apart so long You always were a special friend of mine 
I like the easy way I can always make you laugh How you always make the time for me Oh, I don't know where or when I'll be seeing you again But you're the place I'm always glad to be I remember happy days we rambled around Just drifters on the distant shore of you We never missed the gold we never found For dreams were good enough, that's true We'd while away the days just fishing through our brains The sweetest word I know is loyalty Oh, I don't know where or when I'll be seeing you again But you're the place I'm always glad to be Thinking about measuring the past Holding up the scrapbook to the mirror Pictures fade, only love holds fast Time always goes too fast when you're near I guess we had it good, I never had a doubt You brought out the brighter side of me Oh, I don't know where or when I'll be seeing you again But you're the place I'm always glad to be Say ain't your face a welcome sight to see Over yonder, we got to walk a little farther than we've ever walked before. We got to walk a little farther down that long, glowy road. I got a finish yet, it's more. Well, Abraham and Sarah, childless did remain, but Abraham, he praised the Father's name. He looked up and saw three angels who were standing in his door. They said, God ain't finished yet, can't say for more. We've got to walk, walk a little farther to gather over yonder. We've got to walk, walk a little farther than we've ever walked before. We've got to walk, walk a little farther down that long road. road. God ain't finished yet, can't say for more. Well, people laughed at Noah when the skies were turning gray. They said, woe unto you, evil on that day. When the rain begins to fall and when you hear the thunder roar, you'll know God ain't finished yet, yet said for more. We've got to walk, walk a little farther till we're gathered over yonder. We've got to walk, walk a little farther than we St. Paul sailed on a mission, 
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org. <laughs> 